What is going on, my friends? I hope you are doing well today. The team at TRE wants to say thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for joining today. This is the Real Estate Podcast, and we want you guys to do us a solid. If you don't mind, can you help us get the message out? We believe that real estate can be for anybody, and we believe there's opportunities for people to grow with us. So if you can, please share, subscribe, like, comment. Thank you for being here on our journey, and we are going to continue to add as much value as we possibly can and try to shake up the industry. Let's dive in. You have to have a passion for what you're doing. You have to care about what you're doing or else it's not going to work at all. If you're looking at this from a uh, just the paper perspective of looking at just like a real estate investment deal, um, it's very, very enticing, but it will fall flat on its face if you don't care about what you're doing uh, because that all percolates through the entire business. If, if the owner of the business doesn't have the right attitude, that's gonna rub off on all the people involved in the business. Hey everybody, welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. Today, we have a special guest for you. My name is Alex Kaufman. Matt is out viewing properties today, so I'm gonna hold it down. But we have our partner, our friend, Parker Patterson. Parker is our partner on a few assisted living homes that we own together. Uh, Parker and his family actually own a insurance company called Matt Patterson Insurance Agency. And Parker's a real estate investor and a businessman, and he's really sharp, so I know that y'all are gonna love this episode. Make sure you like this video. Share it with anybody you may uh, think will find some benefit from it. Uh, Parker is a wealth of knowledge, and uh, there's going to be some great details here about insurance and about assisted living homes. So, Parker, uh, we met, I believe, uh, first time you and I met, maybe you'd known Matt prior to that, but you and I met viewing an eightplex in New Braunfels. Yep. Um, we were wholesaling this deal, and I think you were there uh, checking it out as a potential investment. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, that's how you and I met. Uh, I think I had started following y'all on social media or something through some mutual friends prior to that, uh, and then got on your buyer's list for the wholesaling uh, aspect of things and uh, saw one that looked interested, interesting to us um, and went to go check it out. And it was uh, happened to be that eight unit uh, any Bromples that you guys were wholesaling. Um, and that's when I met you. Um, and I guess you could say we kind of hit it off from there um, and just kind of was intrigued by people that are like-minded um, and similar age to me <coughs> going the same direction and um, doing similar things that, that I'm interested in. So I think that kind of uh, connected us from there. Um, so yeah, definitely appreciated that. Yeah, of course. And prior to that, uh, you and you, you have some rentals, you have a few duplexes, right? Uh, yes. So uh, that's, that was how I um, kind of made my jump into real estate. So uh, I started out selling insurance. Um, I was uh, selling insurance part-time for my family's insurance agency uh, while I was going to school. Um, and then I finished that up uh, at the end of 2016 um, and then started going full-time uh, January 1st of 2017 selling insurance. Um, and through some uh, connections that I had made in the insurance business, started learning about real estate. Uh, prior to that, it was a foreign concept to me and I had you know, didn't really know a whole lot about it and ended up reading the infamous book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, upon recommendation of, uh, at the time, one of my newfound friends, Cameron Whitehead, mm -hmm. um, who I think had known Matt through some prior connections and he was a part of the reason why I ended up being connected with you guys. Uh, and he was like, hey man, you gotta check out this book, it's so cool, uh, it's just really changed how I've looked at everything. I was like, all right, cool, whatever, I'll check it out. 
uh, read the book and I was like, oh man, this is, this is awesome. This is definitely uh, something that I want to do and just opened my mind um, to a whole different um, perspective of thought. And so started getting obsessed with it, started reading more books, uh, learning more, kind of growing my, my knowledge base because at, at the time it was like drinking from a, a fire hose. You know, it was all new information to me. I didn't know a single thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, did, uh, did your dad or anybody else in your family have a big emphasis on investing in real estate? Uh, a little bit. Um, we weren't completely foreign to it. My dad's got some, some properties, but it wasn't something that he'd ever set out to uh, make a path in that direction. It just, you know, the stuff that he had acquired had mostly been by happenstance, just stuff that had come up and been a good deal or we needed it for office space or, or what have you for the insurance business. Um, and so I had some prior knowledge of it, but not much at all. And especially not, um, you know, kind of where uh, I'm at today with you know, trying to do as much as I can uh, in real estate investing and just ignited that passion. Um, mm-hmm. Once I just kind of started down that path, it was just a, uh, <laughs> all history after that. So. Yeah, of course. And uh, your dad, so how long have y'all had Matt Patterson Insurance Agency for? Uh, I believe close to 30 years. Uh, I think it's like 29 years or something like that. Uh, my dad started it out of college. He uh-huh. went to Texas State uh, and then graduated and went full-time, started his own agency from scratch. Uh, he always jokes that he was like, yeah, you know, I started in a uh, basically a, a one-bedroom or, or a one-room little office with no windows. Uh, uh-huh. And he just started with a phone book and started cold calling. And that's how he started his business and how he grew it. And then slowly uh, it started to grow from there. And um, in 2019, we were actually named the number one farmer's insurance agency in the entire nation. So wow, uh, it's grown, grown a lot in the last 29 years, and I certainly can't take credit for uh, much of that. Uh, but it's been fun working with my dad um, and being a, a family business, working together. We get along really well. Uh, he's a great friend of mine. My younger brother started in the business uh, here recently. I've got a cousin who's in it. Uh, so it's fun, you know, going to work with people that you love and care about. And um, so it's been, it's been fun. And then I've also made almost all of my real estate connections through insurance, mm-hmm. uh, which has been, it's been pretty interesting how that's happened. Uh, that's actually how I found technically my second deal. My first deal was... Um, was actually the, the property that I've got in Wimberley, that duplex that I um, ended up general contracting um, myself. And then the second one um, was an insurance client that had a property in New Braunfels. Um, and <clears throat> he had just been kind of him and hawing about, you know, I don't know what I want to do with this property. You know, I just, I'm moving. He had been recently divorced and he had a few rentals and he didn't know what he wanted to do with them. And he was whining about how the insurance was too expensive. And I said, well, why don't you just sell it? And he was like, well, I don't really want to mess with putting it on the market and this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, I'll take a look at it. And just young and dumb and uh, went to go check it, take a look at it and ended up being a good deal. So we ended up buying it um, and led to more. We ended up having another one that kind of fell in our lap around the same time from a separate insurance client uh, that had a property that I guess, I think how it came up was he was having a conversation with my dad and had a property in San Marcos. It just so happened to be a duplex as well. And we were looking at small multifamily deals, so it, it made sense for us to look at it. Uh, so we ended up taking down that deal at the same time. Uh, and it started kind of snowballing from there and fell in love with it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how things started to progress. So it, it was interesting how uh, insurance led into and fed into my passion for real estate and real estate investing. And also the connections that I've made through that have been just uh, phenomenal. I mean, I just feel so blessed to have met the people that I've met, and I wouldn't have met them uh, without without the insurance gig. Right. I think they uh, I think they both work hand in hand. I mean, we we give you all of our insurance business, and 
I'm sure that <clears throat> there's a lot of people out there like us who buy a lot of real estate and just various different things where it's it's just easy to say, here, Parker, we got another one, and and they both really you know work uh, well together. Yeah, and I love it seeing it you know <clears throat> representing the insurance side of things, seeing deals from the investor's perspective. You know, the average insurance agent might look at a deal and give you the insurance agent answer, and that may not be the right answer for an investor because they're looking at the deal from a different perspective than your average consumer that's just buying a you know a home for their personal use may have different insurance needs than somebody that's buying it as an investment. And so being able to view it through investors' eyes and have that conversation and and, and know what terminology uh, and be on the same page with other investors, I feel like uh, really works well um, for everybody. It's a win-win for me and for them. Yeah. So. What have you learned uh, in the uh, insurance business um, as it relates to uh, real estate investing? And I'll uh, just kind of share my thoughts on it. So. Typically, I mean, insurance is always something that we're required to get. We always have loans on our properties, so we're required to get it. Um, and we typically, uh, we're not insurance experts, uh, and that's kind of what we rely upon you for. Uh, and you've helped me out tremendous uh, amounts, plenty of times where I'm like, look, Parker, I don't know. You know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what we're buying. This is what we're buying it for. And uh, you help structure the insurance around what we're looking for while still protecting us and looking out for our best interests for things that we're not thinking about um, or, you know, we just don't know about, right? Like we probably have uh, 40 plus insurance. I don't know. You'd know the number, how many we have. I've lost count. Yeah, yeah it's up there. <laughs> There's a lot of them in it. And I have no idea what's in any of them, yeah. honestly, which is probably a bad thing. <laughs> But uh, it seems like it's a full-time job, at least for us at this point, to oversee those. And so that's really just what we rely upon you for. Yeah, and that's a win-win for everybody. And I'm <clears throat> all about that. Uh, it works well for you guys because you don't have to go micromanage your insurance deals and worry about, well, was this covered? Is this covered? Uh, you can trust that somebody's got your best interests at heart um, and that it's going to get taken care of. And then also, like you said, in structuring the deal around uh how insurance plays into that. You know, it might be a situation where to make the numbers work, we need to have a higher deductible or we need to adjust the policy in some way to help with cash flow. And it's all about risk, risk tolerance. I mean, it's all from the investor's perspective. You know, if you're throwing every dime that you have into this property and you don't have the cash to afford a high deductible, then that's probably not going to be a great idea. But if your risk tolerance is high and you say, look, we would rather have the cash flow on this property and not bet on something going wrong and we can eat it if something does happen. Uh, we're going to play the lar law of large numbers and we've got a bunch of units and that works for us. Um, and so we've got some flexibility with that and um, allows us to come up with something that's a perfect fit for whatever the client is mm -hmm. or whoever the client is. How often does something go wrong? Oh man, it feels like for me it's every day because with just the volume of, uh, of clients and, and such that the law of large numbers does catch up with us and it seems like we've always got something going on. Um, but it's just hit or miss. I mean, Texas does have more claims than, uh, than most states. Texas has higher insurance rates than most, most other states do because we get uh, lots more um, severe weather. Um, we get pretty much all of it. We can get hurricanes. We can get the only thing we really don't deal with is earthquakes, but uh, all the extreme weather that can cause massive damage from wildfires, floods, hailstorms, we get it all. So mm -hmm. Texas insurance tends to be more expensive, and that's why. Um, so we deal with claims quite often, um, but it just depends. It just depends on weather patterns and uh, everything else. So I just I don't think we've uh, 
we might have uh, filed, you know, maybe a couple claims or, or attempted to a couple of times, uh, but for us, it doesn't happen that often uh, where we have to file claims. And so I was just kind of curious. I'm sure, you know, being the uh, largest farmers agency in the nation, I'm sure you do have a lot of claims being filed. But at this point, I'm curious. So let's say I did have a claim. I call you, I guess, and I say, hey, Parker, you know, XYZ happened. Y'all probably follow your process. But then you're not actually insuring our properties, right? You are brokering the insurance? Yeah, so I'm the agent that represents the insurance company. So uh, every agency is different. We like to be a little more hands-on with our claims process than most. So let's take you as an example. Let's say you guys just bought a property um, and you've got a potential claim. You call me about and said, hey, this is what happened. what do you think we should do? And I say, oh, well, first thing we want to do, depending on what it is, I mean, if it was like, say, a fire or a huge water deal where there's obviously going to be a claim, then we'll go ahead and get the claim started immediately and put a rush on it and get the ball rolling as quickly as possible. Um, if it is something that's maybe questionable, um, it might not, might not be too much above what the deductible is, then what I would always advise is getting an estimate first. And so we've got a, a wealth of contractors that we work with that we can help connect you with to get an estimate. Let's say you had a $5,000 deductible and it's a $6,000 claim. I would tell you guys, don't turn that one in. It's not worth you know getting $1,000 yield on this insurance claim when your insurance is gonna go up next year because you filed a claim. Um, so being proactive on that, really works well for everybody because it doesn't waste your time if you're just going to turn in a claim just for the sake of turning in a claim and then it ends up being below the deductible or not worth anyone's time and your rates are still going to go up because of it so how much do the rates go up in that example for you know i'm there's no exact answer but i mean uh it goes up well over that one thousand dollar number that you would get from the insurance company potentially over the period of time so um say they take a 15 percent rate increase Uh, well, that could catch up to you over the period of, say, three or four years if you've got a claim on your record versus not having a claim on your record. Um, If it's something close like that, I would usually advise them to just go ahead and and handle it out of pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, so once it goes up, it doesn't come down? No, very rarely. Um, I mean, insurance is just like everything else. I mean, uh, the cost of just about everything has gone up over the past few years, and uh, insurance has to keep up with that. So cars cost more than ever to fix. Houses cost more than ever to fix. Um, and so that all factors into things. So insurance naturally has had to keep up with uh, the rising cost of everything else. So that plays into things too. So it's it's really hard because there's so many things that go into the algorithms for each company on how they uh, set their rates to say, okay, if you file this claim, it's going to go up 12%. There's nobody in the world that could do that. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way to know. But Do uh, you have like an insurance score similar to like a credit score where the insurance company looks at you and says, well, over his lifetime, he filed 50 claims. So yes, absolutely. Uh, so they do have an insurance score that factors into a lot of different things. It's the property. You know, if there's been claims filed on the property in the past prior to uh, the hmm. new buyer that follows the claim history follows the property. So the property plays into it. The owner plays into it. So say it's a property that didn't have any claims, but the owner has filed 50 claims over the last 20 years or or what have you. Uh, So that can also play into it. And then uh, it also takes into effect the credit of the buyer uh, or the owner of the property. That's a factor of it as well. So if you've got terrible credit, uh, it can hurt your insurance cost. Uh, It's it's interesting. There's a lot of different things that go into it, but uh, those those three, uh, at least on property insurance, tend to be the biggest drivers. 
Have you ever filed any insurance claims? Yes, I've had some insurance claims. Uh, we actually just had uh, a recent hail claim on one of our assisted living homes. We got a new roof put on that um, uh, about a month and a half ago. So Nice. Okay, so it's I'm just thinking through this because, like I said, we've never, uh, for any of our properties, we've never filed insurance claims. There's been times in the past where uh, I've been in a wreck where I've had to report this to insurance or some car insurance. Uh but on the property side of things, we've never really run into a situation where uh, we have to utilize it other than, you know, paying uh, all up front most of the time at closing. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we've had a couple potential ones. Uh, I talked with y'all's property manager uh, maybe about a month ago about a potential a potential claim, and it worked just like that. We talked about it. He said, hey, what's the deductible? Um, let him know what the deductible is. And then I never heard anything after that. So uh, that was handled in a way that I would like, which is let's proactively figure out what the extent of the damage is before we just immediately go turn in a claim. Because mm-hmm. that claim is going to stick with you uh, for a minimum of three years, even if nothing's paid. Is it per entity? So as you know, we have multiple different entities that we buy these properties with. So say one entity that owns one property filed a claim, but we have these 20 other entities that we buy real estate with. Does the claim in that entity follow these? Yes and no. It in theory shouldn't, but sometimes if there's, uh, say, <clears throat> the insurance company takes into account not just the LLC that owns the property, but who is the manager of the LLC as part of their insurance rate. And so if we put like this is the person that's in control of this entity, and let's use you for an example. If you are our uh, person that's rated across all of these entities, it can potentially pick up on the um, on the claims report just because it's a common ownership, even if the LLCs are different. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And one last question I had. You mentioned that uh, regarding insurance, you mentioned that uh, you represent the insurance uh, companies, insurance agencies. You're their agent, right? Does the, uh, which I thought was interesting, does anybody represent the consumer? Are there agents out there that do represent the consumer versus the insurance company? Well, the way I like to look at it and the way I phrase it is I just represent the evil insurance company. I don't work for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I truly represent the client, and that's who pays our bills. That's what, without them, there's nothing. So, we prioritize the client's needs over the insurance needs. We happen to represent the insurance company, so we're the point of contact that can go between the two, but ultimately we're trying to help the customer come out on top because that's who pays us. Insurance company doesn't pay us if we don't have any clients. Mm-hmm. So the client comes first. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's that's, that's how we look at it. Legally, your license represents the insurance company, but in yes. practice, you represent the consumer. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Cool, and so uh, about, uh, I think it was when we met, I think it was probably May or maybe April, May of 2020, going to view that Aplex. Uh, since then, we've stayed in touch and, and everything. And you met with Matt and I in downtown Round Rock one time. And I'm sure you've spoken yep. and met with Matt plenty of times outside of that. Um, but then I think it was uh, early last year, you reached out to us about an assisted living opportunity, two homes. Um, and we ended up buying those two assisted living homes and we're looking at buying a third right now possibly a fourth um how did that come about and and what sparked your interest in uh, assisted living homes uh, as a not only an opportunity for investment but as a business to run and for people to help yeah so uh we were actually looking at our existing properties and trying to find out ways to increase cash flow 
We were thinking, looking at converting some of our long-term rentals to either mid-term or short-term rentals um, and just happened upon, I don't know if it was a Google search, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but we happened upon uh, this, at the time, completely foreign concept to us, which is residential assisted living, which is taking a typical single-family home and converting it and setting it up for uh, essentially a group home for the elderly. Um, and I was like, hmm, that's a really interesting concept. Uh, so I, I clicked on the link and kept following and learned more information and got connected with the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Uh, and to make a, a long story short with that, we ended up going through their training program, which was immensely helpful. They know everything that there is to know about residential assisted living and help. We have, we have coaches that we work with. Uh, we've learned everything that we know about assisted living uh, aside from what we've learned just um, mm-hmm. in the business. But prior to that, learned everything that we could through the education that we received with um, the Residential Assisted Living Academy. And so I was immediately intrigued, just kind of looking at this concept, thinking, well, we could take a single-family home and have it cash flow like an apartment complex. Um, so that was what immediately sparked my interest from the real estate investor perspective. And then looking at the demographics behind it and looking at a, a recession-proof industry that uh, the demographics behind the baby boomers that um, are all getting into this stage for the next 20 years, it's going to be an industry that is very, very strong. Uh, we're all headed that way. I mean, there's no there's no avoiding it. We're all headed to that stage of life. And, and I pray that when I'm in that stage of life that I'm able to uh, be in a situation where I'm t- well taken care of. Um, and that's what we try to do. We try to make it as comfortable as possible um, so that our seniors are able to live a high quality of life with dignity and enjoy their time where it's not just, you know, kick them out to the pasture and hope they die. You know, that's uh, we want to make sure that they're having fun and they're enjoying things. And, and it's great in a home like environment because it's a lot less intimidating than a big facility. Um, you know, they get the uh, nursing homes and such get a bad rap for a reason. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues in that industry is neglectful care and that becomes worse when you've got a big facility with 150 beds with really about the same labor that we run with our small homes that are you know 15 beds and smaller Um, and so the boutique experience provides a much much better overall uh, experience for the families for the residents um, and for us we love it we love being able to take care of people and do a good job Um, so that that in combination with, uh, we do have, so my mother-in-law, Ruby, who is uh, actually the name behind Ruby's home, um, she had a background in uh, residential assisted living. Um, and so she knew a little bit about it, not necessarily from a, a owning perspective, but uh, she had worked in that industry and knew a lot about it for really like the last 20 years. And so when we were kind of soaking all this in, trying to figure out how or what we wanted to do, uh, we talked to Ruby about it. I talked to her and said, hey, is this something that you would be interested in helping us with if we decide to do it? And she said, yes. And so that really kind of kicked us in the pants to say, okay, we've got a manager that can help us with this, that has some experience with it. Let's go ahead and and take the leap and do this. And so we ended up, um, once we had made the decision that yes, we do want to move forward with this industry, this is something we want to do. Uh, we started cold calling. So we got a list of all the licensed assisted living homes in Texas uh, and kind of cross-referenced that with the demographics that we wanted and the zip codes that we wanted and drilled down where we wanted to be, what what we were looking for, and kind of nailed down our specifics and then cross-referenced that with um, this list that we were cold calling on and just so happened to connect with um, a seller who was motivated to sell. uh, And they 
he had a property that we were looking at at the time, and then he just casually mentioned, hey, I've got another one down the road that you guys, it's not for sale, but you might might be interested in it too. Um, and it was a crazy deal. We ended up going seeing it the next day, uh, toured both places, and ended up signing letters of intent on the tailgate of my truck in their driveway. Um, which was fun and then became the mad scramble of trying to figure out, okay, well, we've got these things that are, you know, we've got a letter of intent on them. How are we going to pay for them? How are, how are we going to do this deal? And that's whenever I called Matt up and I was like, hey, you know, I've just got this crazy new idea that I've got and wanted to talk to you about it see if maybe you knew anybody that would be interested in partnering with us or uh, finding a way to make this deal work. And I had no idea that Matt would be interested or that you would be interested. It was really just, I know that you guys are super connected and, and have lots of great connections already. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and you know set up a meeting and um, see where that goes. And to my surprise, um, Matt was super excited about it. He was like, wow, this is really cool. I, I could see us getting behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I think you guys had some cash that you needed to um, to get going. And... Uh, so I said, not right. really. <laughs> we uh, we never have it just sitting around. We had to we had to figure out a way to get it done, but we did. Yeah, and y'all did. Um, and so yeah, that's that's how we got here. No, it's cool, man. And it was. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think Matt ever went to go tour him, but I I went to go tour him with you, mm-hmm. uh, both houses that one day. And uh, prior to that, you know, I've. Uh, owned a uh, sober living home before mm-hmm. much different similar concept though and uh, man I just uh, I'm glad that that you guys and Ruby uh, and you and your wife just really love it because it's hard you know it's not just a business right you're dealing with human beings and people in tough situations and uh, I think somebody who who's going to run that or you know, be involved in it. They just really have to, to love what they're doing and love helping people because it's hard, you know? And, uh, when we went to go tour it, um, it's just so sad. Anytime I go to a assisted living home and like, I've got a grandfather in assisted living home and it's just so sad being in there and, you know, being sad and happy, right? Like, cause they're really excited to see you and they want to, you know, spend time with you. But at the same time, you just know that they're not going to be around for long. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of going back to what you talked about when you first toured those two homes, where they were when we toured them originally and where they are today are unrecognizable. I mean, just from the physical appearance to the house, we've done lots of renovations, brightened the place up, done lots of things to improve the homes, um, which has been great. But then just the complete overhaul of how we've tried to uh, bring joy into the home is truly what we've what we've been focused on and I was just there earlier today and it was just a night and day difference going back to what it was a year ago and where it's at today walking in and seeing smiling faces seeing the staff happy seeing the the, the residents happy mm-hmm. uh, we're doing so many cool things we've got um, we actually do private uh, concerts at our assisted living home so we've got a group that comes in and uh, has uh, classical music and they come in and play and do all kinds of cool stuff and uh, we've got pet therapy we've got a private chef we've got all this cool stuff that uh, seeing it actually come to life and what it does to the residents and for them uh, and seeing the appreciation, seeing the families appreciate that and just seeing the overall uh, happiness and joy of the home completely change, just a total different energy uh, has been very, very rewarding. It's been a a lot of work and a a long process to get here, but uh, it's all been worth it. And seeing seeing that outcome is uh, definitely makes it all worth it. Yeah. And y'all done a great job. 
Um, what uh, when you were going th- before pulling the trigger and cold calling and finding these first two uh, assisted living homes, and you were going through the academy, was there anything where you were like uh, maybe apprehensive about, or a little nervous, or you know, in fear about going down this road with with these as investment properties? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the, the fear of the unknown, just not knowing what we're getting into. This is totally different. Um, you know, looking at it from a real estate investor perspective, you think, okay, the numbers are great on this. This is going to be an easy deal. We'll just hire the right people. It'll be easy. Um, and in theory, it can be. But in practice, there's a lot more variables that you don't think about when you're just looking at it on paper. Uh, then you deal with situations where, okay, well, we never thought what happens if this happens. Um, and learning how to navigate those difficult situations um, has been a learning curve for sure. But uh, we're getting it figured out and we're getting the right pr- uh, systems and processes in place that have eased that. Um, but yeah, definitely the fear of the unknown was the biggest thing. Uh, had a ton of support from the Residential Assisted Living Academy, which helped a lot. We went out to Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, two or three different times and had week-long trainings out there. Uh, learned so much specific to memory care and specific to assisted living. Um, and then going and meeting other owner-operators that are doing the same thing, uh, getting encouragement from them definitely helped a lot. Um, but I mean, I think everybody's going to deal with some some aspect of fear, regardless of what it is. I mean, even if it's just a regular long-term rental, um, that would be a lot more passive than what these are. It's it's big for anybody. So um, yeah, no, of course. I was just curious, maybe uh, in in your scenario, if there's anything specific that stuck out. Like uh, for me, it uh, in theory and, and on paper, it sounds great to be like, yeah, this is going to provide a great return and we'll just go out and hire the right people. But I think uh, we know how hard it is to, first of all, hire the right people. And uh, two, you have to set that entire thing up. And it's yeah. a tremendous amount of work. It's not, uh, you know, for the person who's operating it, it's not uh, just investing in an assisted living home. I mean, it's running a full time business. Yes, absolutely. So if anybody that is thinking about getting into assisted living, uh, I would just give the piece of advice that is, you have to have a passion for what you're doing. You have to care about what you're doing or else it's not going to work at all. If you're looking at this from a, uh, just the paper perspective of looking at just like a real estate investment deal, um, it's very, very enticing, but it will fall flat on its face if you don't care about what you're doing. Uh, because that all percolates through the entire business. If, if the owner of the business doesn't have the right attitude, that's going to rub off on all the people involved in the business, from the staff to the residents, and that's going to drag everything down. And if you're just looking at it from, uh, from that perspective, it's very l- unlikely that the home is going to thrive. Um, and so that's been a big, a big thing for us is that we go above and beyond and do the things that uh, – the little things that make the biggest difference. Um, and it's created a culture that's working for us. We've got, the staff is happy. Our staff, we love our staff. We love, it has come so far from where, when we started to where it's at today. But I don't think any of that would have been the case if we just treated this as, we're gonna run this as passively as possible. We don't wanna hear anything from y'all. You know, y'all figure it out. Um, and you're dealing with hourly employees asking them to do a very difficult job. That is not easy for anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're asking a lot. But when they see that we care and that we listen and that we're involved, um, it makes a huge, huge difference in building that culture. And, uh, and then everybody wins. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't even think it doesn't matter what business you're in. Uh, if you have a team 
um, it requires all the things that you just mentioned. You know, whether it's insurance, real estate brokerage, marketing, investments, uh, wholesaling, construction, uh, any business whatsoever where you have to build out your team and your staff, it requires uh, you to be the good leader, you to show up, have the good attitude, uh, you know, lead by example, really care and pour into your people. Um, it's not about you. You can't just step away and be passive. They need somebody there to lead them. They need somebody to tie all these things together. They need somebody to, you know, lead the team. And it's that in itself, just leading, not even doing any other specific task in the business is a full-time job. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're exactly right. It's, it's, uh, not just this industry, it's every industry. It has to, there has to be strong leadership in place for a business to thrive. Because, um, you know, the way I look at it is, um, you know, nobody's ever going to care about a business as much as the owners. Uh, and if the owner's attitude um, is not in sync with the values of the business uh, or the culture that you're trying to grow, then you're just going to constantly be butting your head, uh, butting heads on situations, and it's never going to click and thrive because it's all got to be in sync for it to work, regardless of what industry you're in. So I think you're exactly right on that. Right. Um, so we got uh, uh, two that we own and operate, uh, Ruby's Home at Lakeline and Ruby's Home at Anderson Mill. Mm-hmm. And um, we are under contract to purchase the third. And we're, what are we going to call this one? Uh, so this one is going to be Silverleaf Assisted Living and Memory Care. Uh, so super excited about this. It's uh, coming soon. It's going to be in the Northwest Hills area of Austin. Uh, really, really like everything about this home. Um, it's going to allow us to serve our residents at an even higher level than we are now. Um, they've got a commercial kitchen, so we're going to be able to use, utilize their private chefs in that commercial kitchen uh, to provide the highest nutrition that we can across all three locations. Um, the home is perfectly laid out for what we want. Uh, it's built by design for assisted living and memory care. Uh, so it's, it's just beautiful to see something like that. Um, that we didn't have to go do all the, the work to get it to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to be able to buy something that's turnkey um, that provides exactly what we want. So there, very excited about it. Yeah, there's a lot of attention to detail put into that yes. uh, build out. I mean, down to the lights, down to the paint, uh, the type of paint that was chosen. Yeah. Uh, every single little thing, it seemed, was thought about yeah. in constructing that layout. Yeah, there was not one square inch of that property that did not have some type of thought and design that went into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the, the uh, sellers of that property had originally bought it, uh, they spent about two years remodeling it. So it was a two-year process, total gut remodel. Everything was done by design specifically for this. Uh, and then the licensing and everything else that uh, had to happen in order to um, get it open was about a two-year process. Uh, and they did a beautiful job. We were just ecstatic when we toured that property. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like you said, they thought of everything. I mean, they had a German engineer come in and do their lighting so that there's never a shadow anywhere in the home because people who are dealing with memory care issues are scared of shadows. It's very scary for them. So, you know, you wouldn't think about that unless you cared about the residents and cared about having the best possible experience. And luckily, these people have the same uh, perspective and actually the same training that we do uh, with the Residential Assisted Living Academy. They went through the same thing? They went through the same one. So that's been really, really nice to be able to uh, transition something that has the same values as what we're trying to do. And they've done an amazing job. So we're very, very excited for that. Yeah. 
I'm excited too. And that's a that's a beautiful property. And uh, currently, is it full? Uh, yes, I believe it's either close to full or 100% occupied. And then um, we'll be closing on that one in uh, early September. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we've had someone else reach out about one in Round Rock. Um, and on our previous, uh, Matt made a reel on Facebook and Instagram and everything about this. And we've had, I mean, I could probably pull up my phone right now, look at notifications on Facebook and there's comments or, you know, people asking about assisted living. And so it's, there's a lot of people really interested in it. Um, and there's a lot of people really interested in everything too, though. You know, like there's a lot of people interested in real estate investing, Mm -hmm. but, uh, not too many people actually do what's necessary to invest in real estate. Yeah. Uh, so what would, uh, what would be some of your tips for people who are looking to get into this industry? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, do not get into it unless you, uh, you know, really care about it. But is there anything else that you would advise people who are looking into assisted living homes? Yeah, I would say uh, stack up on your knowledge. Make sure that you're investing in your education. Uh, For us, the Residential Assisted Living Academy was an absolutely critical move for us to do this. If we would have tried to figure this out on our own, it would have been almost impossible. Um, So leaning on them has been absolutely well worth it. Um, And they've got a ton of resources and can help with anything and everything related to whether it's training, to uh, individual issues you're dealing with in your assisted living home, concepts, if you're going to do new construction, they've got everything you can think of. So uh, they're an excellent resource and that was a huge help for us. so I'd say align with your values, make sure that you that you love what you're doing, that you have a passion for this and care about what you're doing, uh, and that it aligns with your values. Uh, stack up on your knowledge, learn everything that you can so that you can do a good job. So it's not just a concept of you caring a lot, you actually know how to perform the right tasks and run a high level business that uh, ultimately benefits um, the residents um, by being done correctly. So those uh, those two things have to be in sync for this to work. That would be the main two things, education and have your heart in the right place. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, state or anywhere that may be better for assisted living homes, residential assisted living homes? Uh, we haven't really explored markets outside of Texas. Uh, we love the Texas market and specifically the Austin market. Uh, and, and for us, that's where we're focused. So I haven't done a lot of research into other states, but every state has to have them because every people live in every state. And um, this is something that is unavoidable. And you know, one thing that is interesting about this is that uh, by providing a home-like experience like we do, it's a regular single-family home that's set up for um, a group home for the elderly. Uh, <clears throat> the alternative to this, so a lot of people think, well, it sounds expensive. Well, the alternative is, well, if you want the highest level of care possible, if you were to go hire caregivers to come into your home and provide the same level of care, it would be 10 times as much. Um, I mean, if you're 10 times, yeah, of what it would cost potentially 10 times as much, maybe five times as much, it would be significantly more. It's not even in the same ballpark uh, to provide the same level of care. Whereas the alternative to that would be a big facility where, uh, you know, typically the price points are going to be somewhat similar to a residential assisted living home. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, depending on what it is. But you deal with much worse ratios at facilities in most cases. Um, you know, typically you're going to be 100 plus beds. And like I said, they may have the same number of staff that we have for dealing with 15 residents and they've got 150. Um, 
And so that is a huge thing that people don't realize is that we're able to actually save quite a bit of money in comparison to what the alternative is while still providing an excellent high level of care that wouldn't be possible. I mean, if you were going to go spend 30 grand a month to have people come into your home and provide 24-7 care, uh, that's not feasible for many people. That's a lot of money. Um, and so, you know, being in a different price point that's nowhere near that, uh, while it might sound expensive at first, it's so much cheaper than the alternative and so much better off than the other alternative of going into a big facility because the care is not there. So you're going to spend the same amount, same amount of money and not get the care that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really the niche that we've been able to fill and um, provide a much needed um, industry. Where can uh, people learn about uh, Ruby's Home and soon to be uh, our new ones? Uh, yeah, so we've got our website is www.rubyshomecare.com, and then we've got a Facebook page you guys can follow. Uh, we've got a new website coming for Silverleaf. I believe it's going to be silverleafeldercare.com. Um, so more to come on that. I'm sure we'll have uh, social media channels coming on that shortly. Um, so yeah, that would be it. And then what about uh, Matt Patterson Insurance Agency? If anybody needs a good insurance agent, yeah. So we've got mattpattersoninsurance.com, um, and you're welcome to reach out to me. I can I can get you help helped out in any way that I can. Um, and so we're we're happy to help. Cool. Well, thank you, Parker, and thank you everybody for uh, tuning in today. And we'll see you next time. Alrighty. Thanks, Alex.